writing it out and looking back at all that shit, I'm, I have been reminded like, oh, my God, your girl's gone through it. <laughs> but she's, she's made, you know, made it through. And it's, um, yeah, it is a real big test of character and strength. And anyone who has endo uh, is like an absolute boss for just living with it, you know? Like it's, it's so not easy. gives you two choices when it throws everything at you. You can let it swallow you whole or you take those lemons. And as the old saying goes, you turn it into sweet, delicious lemonade. And that's exactly what this podcast is all about. Welcome to Lemonade. I'm your host, Elizabeth O'Neill, and I'll be sharing the incredible stories from inspiring people who've turned the hardest times in their life, their lemons into lemonade. Because let's be real, we all want to know how they did it, the lessons they learnt, and what life is like sipping the Michello on the other side. Let's get juicing. You probably know Bridget Huswaite as the host of Triple J's Good Nights. You may or may not also know she has endometriosis. It's something she's lived with since she was a teenager, except she didn't know it. In fact, she was told a number of times her extremely painful periods were nothing to worry about, and even that others have it way worse. After five years of painstakingly searching for answers, she was finally diagnosed with stage four endo two years ago. It's been quite the journey and one that is way too familiar for anyone living with the condition. So Bridget started Endogram, an Instagram account to encourage conversations about endometriosis, raise awareness about the condition and hopefully reduce the time it takes for a woman to be diagnosed, which is around six and a half years on average. Around one in nine women have endo, that's 830,000 Australians, made up of our mums, sisters, friends, perhaps even you. I adored this hilarious yet insightful chat with Bridget and I learnt a lot. I hope you enjoy it too. Here's Bridget. Bridget, welcome to the Lemonade Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so appreciative and excited to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat. Yeah. How are you? You're in Melbourne as well. How is everything Uh, doing? Doing okay. Um, I mean, it's pretty good at the moment, right? Like we're seeing the cases go down. Um, Lockdown has been long. It's been a long year. I mean, don't know what day it is anymore, but Mm -hmm. I see the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm starting to see it. That's just what we need right now. And I think we woke, I don't know if you checked the numbers this morning, which is the most Melbourne thing to do now. And it was five cases. The day we are recording, it's five cases. And it's just like, it's, that's celebrate. That's cause for celebration here. Dude, it really is. I was, cause I, I went back on like previous figures and it was like the 5th of August we had 725. That's and the most Melbourne that, thing, by the way. <laughs> I'm just going to look back on the figures in my own time. <laughs> it is. It's so on brand. Um, but yeah, like it's just so like, I guess having that comparison has been so motivating because it has been such a fatiguing experience mm. and it is getting harder and harder to see 
you know, so many friends interstate and stuff who are living their lives and having their little drinky boomerangs. No. And we're just like, <laughs> go out for my two hours a day. <laughs> you I'd know? give anything to do one of those lame boomerang, so, drink boomerangs. So basic, but I really <laughs> yes. want to do it. <laughs> so, so, and when we do the next one, it's just going to be full, filled with so much passion as we oh, push the, the we, glass will break. <laughs> yeah, so true. But it is true. There's so much light at the end of the tunnel and we were discussing off mic too that we are fortunate enough to still get to go into work. So yeah, lucky. so lucky. Yeah. Now, Bridget, with all of my interviews, I start them the same way and I'd really love to know what your childhood was like. Oh, my childhood. Okay. Um, it was really good. I uh, grew up in Ballarat, uh, family, mum, dad, got a twin sister, got an older sister, an older brother. So it was the four of us kids growing up in yeah regional Victoria. Um, I remember a lot of uh, vintage cars. My dad used to like collect vintage cars like they were mm. toys. Like I remember one time um, before I turned 18, we sat down and wrote down all the cars that he's gone through, like just such a crazy hobby, just, you know, having a vintage car for like six months and then swap it for another one. And That is so yeah. sweet. <laughs> I know, but it's like, it's kind of crazy. Like by the time I turned 18, he had owned like 21 different cars or oh my god something like that like we'd have you know like a little dodge or a custom line or um you know like the old like chitty chitty bang bang style cars and we'd go on a lot of car runs um so I just remember doing that and a lot of caravan trips and yeah it was I had a good childhood I was lucky and you know it was hard we weren't in a we weren't rich we definitely weren't rich um and at times weren't the most financially comfortable but I think my parents gave um as much as they could to us so yeah I was lucky I I love that and I think it's really important that you look back and you said you know you didn't feel rich or anything but you've probably you feel that love and that is worth so much more than being bought all the beautiful things and having designer clothes is feeling love and feeling that family and connection. Yeah, totally. Like I feel like I was rich in, it sounds so cringe, but like rich in experiences and those memories of being able to, you know, just travel domestically. Um, but having those, those outings with the family, as opposed to materialistic things, like, you know, I was one of those kids who always wanted like a billabong pencil case or, yes. you know, oh, like, gosh. You know, like the, <laughs> the wet school bag, wetsuit yeah. material. Yes. And I would never get one because I mean, look, I mean, to be honest, they were like 50 bucks and it's not like my mum and dad could afford four $50 pencil cases. So true. Yes. And I had like the same, like, you know, even in high school, I'm pretty sure I had the same uniform straight from year seven to 12. So it was like really big in year seven because oh. I'd grow into it. Um, so I hated that at the time, but you know, looking back at like, it's, not a big deal, even mm. though it felt like it was at the time. And I think it was just a matter of balancing, you know, what we could have in in physical form as opposed to the experiences that we got. So, yeah. Oh, I love that. I just had a visual of you when you said that you started year seven in the baggy uniform. Like I just, oh, girl. <laughs> every year the year sevens would start in these really oversized blazers and uniforms. And it was just really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> that I was, was a baggy, uncool person. <laughs> Hit me. <laughs> and then did you just, you know, your pathway into the media was quite unconventional and an unusual one. Did you always know that you wanted to get into media? 
Yeah, yes and no. Um, I grew up watching a lot of Channel V on Foxtel and I, I loved going home after school, you know, every every day to watch the the live request show that they had, What You Want. Me like too. Seeing Andrew, <laughs> yeah, like seeing like Andrew G, who's now Osha and Yumi and, and Jabba and, and all the crew. Um, I... I always looked up to that and I know at the back of my mind I, I wanted to do something like that, but I, I don't know if it was because I was living in a, a regional area or just, you know, at the time that's not exposed to you as like a, you can do this as a career kind of thing. So I kind of thought that I just had to always go to uni and do like nursing or teaching or something like that. Um, but at the back of my head, I was always like that, that's the dream gig. Like, can you imagine just being on on screen or on air just talking about music and being silly like the fact that that was a thing was just yeah really appealing to me so um yeah always at the back of my head but I guess no one else like none of my friends kind of had that kind of ambition creatively I suppose like Mm -hmm. there were people at school who were making music but there was never conversations about, oh, let's get into music like or radio or like managing bands or working at a label, like never heard of it, like how you could go about it. So music was always a passion of yours in high school as well? Yeah, I was always a music fan. I could never like, I mean, I got a signed trombone in year, in year seven bands, like... <laughs> You know, I was trumpet. We could have been in a band together. Yeah. <laughs> Brass this band. Is, yeah, this sick horn section. Yes. Um, so bad. I didn't want that <laughs> instrument. I wanted like a, a clarinet or a flute, you know, but they hit me with the big trombone <laughs> that was like longer than my arms. I had to lug that on the country bus. In your oversized uniform. <laughs> like not winning. <laughs> not winning um but yeah I always loved music and I would always listen to the local radio station and you know I'd call up to request a song or enter competitions and win cds and stuff so I was always a music fan definitely so how did you find you can you give us a rundown how you found yourself where you are now as the host a triple j host of good nights which is just the coolest thing ever (laughs) (laughs) it is so cool um I don't know I guess I think for me, a real turning point or a pivotal year was in 2011. So that was my first time living out of home. I moved from Ballarat to Melbourne um, to study visual merchandising. So I wanted to do that course because I was working in retail and I thought it'd be cool to do some styling. And, Mm. you know, that was kind of where I I thought I was going. Um, But then in 2012, when I was coming to the end of my course, Channel V advertised a presenter search and they they do that every couple of years. And every time they would, you know, do that campaign, I would be like, oh, I want to go for it one day, really want to go for it. But I never, I never looked at doing it earlier, I guess, because I was super young. Like when I did it in 2012, I just turned 21. Um, But the reason I did it was because moving to 20, uh, to moving to Melbourne in 2011 was a real liberating year for me. I had broken up with my first serious boyfriend and, you know, that was awful at the time, but it really, um, gave me, I guess that mindset that I could just do whatever I want. Cause I just didn't care what anyone thought. I really feel like, and it's no disrespect to my first boyfriend, but if I was still in that relationship, I wouldn't have applied because I would be too fearful of judgment. Mm, mm -hmm. So letting go of that, just, 
I mean, 2011, I, everyone was turning 21 and I really just lost all F-bombs, don't want to swear, but like <laughs> I did not care about a lot of things. I just, you know, go party, live my life as you do as a 20, 21-year-old and just say yes to everything. Mm. And yeah, I just said, you know what, stuff it. I don't care what anyone thinks. I'm going to apply for it because it's something that I've wanted to do forever. And if I don't go anywhere with it, that's fine. It was a bit of fun. Um, but it ended up going really well and I ended up coming second and it was my first time, yeah, in front of a camera, um, doing anything outside of debating. Or that is speaking. amazing. I must just say that is really incredible. Do you ever just stop and think back and like, Hey, I, I did that. I did really well. <laughs> I do. But I look back as well. Like my videos, like my audition tape, I had no idea what I was doing. And <laughs> I think just what appealed to Channel V was just the fact that I grew up watching the the channel and I was so hopelessly devoted to it and a music fan. And I guess you could just really see that passion, which was really nice. Um, but, you know, I was like, even in my auditions, I was like swearing and stuff and being <laughs> like, yeah, whatever. Just like I'm this mouthy Ballarat girl. Um, terrible hair as well. Like I had this terrible DIY like balayage job with a bit of pink at the bottom. Like I looked like the the ice cream. What's the ice cream? <laughs> Neapolitan. Neapolitan. Yeah. I think Neapolitan. Neapolitan. Yeah. Either or. <laughs> yeah. It was on my head. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I looked like a mess, but um, yeah, I, I do look back on it and because 6,000 people went for that gig and that I came second was pretty good I guess I've got a confession I went for it as well <laughs> I got in the top 100 though I certainly didn't get to my final few did you, where did you do your um on-site audition was it at Groove in the Moo or was it in Melbourne or no I don't think I even got to that I made the top oh. I can't even remember I made you had to enter a video and yep. I did that and then there was a second stage, but I can't remember for the life of me what I did for that second stage. I don't think I was on site anywhere or maybe I've just got... I can't remember. There was a lot know. of like, there was a lot of stages. It was heaps. Um, I think it was probably just make another video or something like yeah, that. And then yeah, I think yeah. it was those dreams were done and dusted. <laughs> truly <laughs> done and dusted after that. Um, you then found yourself, you know, after working super hard in community radio, on Triple J and you working as a mid-dawn presenter. Mm. What hours are they? <laughs> um, ungodly. <laughs> no, oh. they are. <laughs> they, um, the shift is from 1am till 6am. So it's oh the my longest, God. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the longest shift on Triple J, that five-hour shift. Um, so to not only be on air five hours but as a new solo presenter in the middle of the night, um, really, really tough, great experience, but over an extended time. So I did mid dawns for nearly two years. Holy um, shit. It's a long yeah. time. Your body clock must've been screwed. Yeah, it still is, man. I'm still recovering. Like I, I started at triple J at the end of 2015, uh, in December. So like going into summer season when the regular presenters take time off. So I was living in Melbourne at the time and I was working as a travel agent, um, and then a few months in, like quickly realized that I could not uphold both, you know, commitments. It was just so gnarly. So I was kind of out of options. Um, I mean, I couldn't afford to just pay rent whilst being a mid donor who would be like the, the roster was so unpredictable. You know, right. you weren't guaranteed, uh, you know, 
a certain amount of mid dawns a week. It could be one week you have one, one week you have two, maybe you have three one week, but right. it was okay. very unpredictable. Um, so I ended up moving back to Ballarat, just moving in with mum and dad. And I just kind of committed myself entirely to being like on standby if they needed any extra fill-ins. I ended up being like their little seagull. Like whenever they needed a fill-in, I'd be like, me, 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 me. Um, but yeah, it was really hard. And, you know, especially driving from Ballarat to Melbourne. So that's a three hour round trip um, to work overnight and then drive back. There were many a times that I would um, pull over at like Balan or Rockbank Maccas in the car park and my little gets and just like wind the seat back and, and sleep with oh. the blanket over me for a couple of hours. It was a grind. It was a serious grind. <laughs> You've got this incredible platform now that you share your I don't know what the best word is. Journey feels so <laughs> corny. Journey. <laughs> battle feels so, I don't know. I don't want to, yeah, battle feels so, because well, it is a battle because <laughs> it is bloody hard. But this journey, I'll say, with endometriosis and you help so many people um, with your platform and with your voice. But firstly, can you take me right back to when you first started noticing signs? Was it always painful getting your period? Did every month come with a sense of dread? Yeah, it was really interesting how it uh, all came to be, I suppose, because uh, when I got my diagnosis for endo, I I thought it was a a six year kind of pursual. Like I started getting severe abdominal pain in 2011, 2012. But while you're working so hard as well, that was all that timing. My gosh. Yeah, really rough. Um, But the more that I've learned about this condition, the more that I've realized how much of a whole body effect it has. It really is like a whole body disease. It's not just limited to, um, well, it's not even our uterus because it grows outside of our uterus, but it's not limited to reproductive organs. It can affect literally your whole body. Um, So I guess the, the first time that I got my period, it was normal and it was exciting. And I was like, yeah, starting year seven. And I was like, yes, first girl in the group getting it. Let's get that liner and go to the toilet. Um, novelty quickly worn off. Like my, I remember my mum buying me a teddy bear when I first got my period. And I was so excited because I still loved teddy bears. And I was like, woohoo, new toy. Um, but I think I quickly came to realize uh, why I had a teddy bear to comfort me through, you know, the pain and the discomfort. But my period just escalated so quickly. Like it went from like zero to a hundred. I was having such a heavy flow, the pain and cramping and discomfort throughout high school um, was just, yeah, it was really crap. (laughs) I I remember I I first saw a GP about my period in, in year 10 and, you know, quick fix, go on the pill. Didn't really, like, I didn't know anything about it. Mm. Didn't really get taught anything about it in school. Um, or, let alone what a normal period was. Um, so it wasn't really until uh, 2013. So when I was, you know, well and surely out of high school and I'd experienced painful sex and painful, you know, stomachy cramps and stuff that I started to look into it a bit more. My friend uh, had endo, but I don't even, like, I don't even remember the first time that I properly heard about it. And I think mm. that's really and really mm. sad because it should be something that we're taught 
as soon as we get our periods. Like here's some red flags, what it could mean, what it could lead to. In sex ed, um, so true. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, mm. So bad. Um, but it's really promising now. Like I, I look around and there's so many young, you know, young girls and young people who follow me who are in high school and who are learning because of, you know, social media accounts. And there's this great organization called Pep Talks who go and do um, these programs on, on pelvic pain, endo and periods, which is should be in every school really. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a long, a long 12 years really up until the point that I got diagnosed, wow. um, which was 2018. So yeah. when, when you were put on the pill all that time ago in year 10, did it help? Was it, or was it, was it just like a bandaid being slapped on? A yeah. Wound, you know, being slapped on something that was so much more serious. Yeah, absolutely. And that is what birth control is for, for endo. It, it can help people's pain. And I have friends who, you know, have the Mirena and who are on the pill and it has helped suppress symptoms. Um, but it is essentially a, a Band-Aid, especially for endometriosis. Um, and it didn't help my period. Like mm. I just put on a bit of weight and had a little bit of acne and, um, you know, could skip my period for a couple of months at a time, but I still got pain. It didn't do anything yeah right can you give us for anyone that doesn't have it an insight into what it feels like how what it feels like every month or what a flare-up feels like or what it felt like as well before you even knew that you had it I suppose too yeah well it's such a um individualized condition to have uh, and it's so, it's so interesting talking to other people and, and what they experience. I've heard, you know, people say it's like their uterus being wrapped in barbed wire or having like a cannonball, uh, you know, in there and just really graphic descriptions to kind of, you know, set the scene as to how it does feel there. Um, my pain, uh, I mean, painful sex is just like, this crazy stinging, burning, stabbing sensation, really uncomfortable. The cramping, um, the abdominal pain that I was experiencing for quite a bit was just extremely tight pressure. And, you know, it would linger for hours at a time. Um, a flare up can feel like a, a hot, throbbing, sharp sensation. It really does feel like you just got knives up in there. It's just, it's, it's easy to describe, but at the same time, hard to articulate that. Um, yeah. And there's just so many different ways in which people can feel it because it can be, it could be affecting your bowel, like, you know, or your bladder or even, um, your diaphragm. There's been cases where it's been found like in people's brains and noses, very rare, but still valid. Um, it's been found in men again, very rare, but still valid. Like we're learning more and more about this condition and how it can have, yeah, this essential whole body effect. But, um, yeah, cramps and flare ups are just, uh, really overwhelming. The sensation is very overwhelming. They've had one word. <laughs> yes, totally. Getting diagnosed with it was, as you said before, it was really, it was tough to get a diagnosis. And I've heard you talk about how you had to go to like a million different doctors for anyone to take you seriously. And from my research and from people I know that have it, that is so common that people, that doctors who do an incredible job, but I think in this area, sometimes don't take it seriously or slap on the pill as a remedy or what was your experience like with that? Yeah, it's, it is really sad how long it takes. The, yeah, it's like the average time is seven to 12 years, which is just 
horrendous and that has been so normalized now. Um, my experience was really hard because, you know, when I was starting to seek answers on my own, I was bouncing between living between Ballarat and Melbourne and I was going to bulk billing doctors out of convenience and out of cost as well. I was, you know, I have never really been financially stable up until 2018 when I got good nights. Um, so I remember in 2014, I went and saw a a bulk billing doctor in Melbourne who was really great. And he gave me a referral to a gynecologist, but I couldn't afford it. It was like a, you know, $250 yeah. consultation. And at that time earning peanuts as a travel agent, it was literally a matter of, do I go have this consultation or do I pay for groceries this week? You know? And that was a sad reality of my life at that point. Um, then a couple of years later, I went and saw a doctor in Ballarat who I was recommended to by um, some other, there's like this little uh, online group. It's like Ballarat gal pals. It's really great. <laughs> um, but you, you know, it's really great for sourcing recommendations. And I was recommended uh, this female GP and I was like, yep, she's going to be the one. I'm going to go get my pap smear. I'm going to get a referral to a gynecologist now that I've saved some money for it. Um, might get this cold and flu thing sorted because I'm about to go overseas. Rah, rah, rah. Um, you know, called up, booked in advance to ensure that we had the right duration for the appointment so we could like tick all those three things off. Um, so disappointing. Like I walk in, no eye contact, like didn't want a bar of me from the minute that I walked in and explaining my, my symptoms. And she's just, you know, staring at the desk. And then at the end is like straight up. And I quote, (laughs) you don't have endometriosis. Others have it way worse than you. And it was like, it's like, um, that scene in the Simpsons, you know, where, um, Lisa is talking to Ralph and it's like, I never liked you. And you pause and you see his heartbreak. <laughs> Bart says, you can see the exact moment his heart breaks <laughs> yeah. and he pauses it. Yeah. Oh. That was me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was crushing. It was so crushing, especially because I was recommended to this GP who had provided great service for these kind of related conditions to other people. But for some reason, she didn't believe me. And that was a really difficult thing. Um, So that was, yeah, that was really crushing. Um, But then in 2018, I moved to Sydney for for good nights and did my first year of the program there. And, you know, I had a lot of spare time on my plate um, because I didn't have friends (laughs) in Sydney and I was still (laughs) really fighting my feet. So I was like, yeah, okay, this is a good chance to get on top of my health again. Let's, let's try again. Um, and it was there that I found a really good women's health GP who referred me to a gynecologist and then I had surgery and then got diagnosed, but it should not have taken that long. You know, the word endometriosis should have been raised that first time I went to a doctor in year 10 about my period and, and explored. Yeah. Yeah. And even, even then just something to be aware of and then to follow up in a few years, but not 12 years later, you know, like how much happens in 12 years? A lot. How, how much worse could it get as well? I'm no medical professional. I've got no experience with anything like that. But I imagine if you're on top of it from year 10 as opposed to 12 years later, it probably would have made a monumental difference to your health and your Huge. livelihood and mental health as well. Yeah, it's so many things. Like not only the physical disease, you know, worsening. Like when I had that first surgery, um, my gynecologist was like, if we'd left that any longer, we would have, you know, had to look at 
potentially moving part of your bowel because that was where it was really bad around my bowel and pouch of Douglas, which is terrifying to hear. Um, But as you mentioned too, mentally, like your quality of life is just so heavily impacted. I've missed out on so many things and, um, you know, probably have had friendships that have even like diminished because of that and just an overall lack of understanding, like from my end and, and their end as well. Like, it does impact you in, in so many ways. Mm-hmm. You talk about when you were finally diagnosed and um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the only way to get diagnosed is to actually have surgery, which is just so, you know, so ex- almost feels so extreme that that's the only way they can diagnose. Mm. But, and you said there was such a sense of relief, even though it was stage four endometriosis. Why was there a sense of relief? Uh, the relief was cause I wasn't crazy, you know, and it wasn't all in my head and that I had answers. I would have been so disappointed coming out of that surgery and hearing, you know, we didn't find anything that like, cause I just, I, I wouldn't, I don't know what I would have done, but, um, coming out and, and, and hearing, I mean, no one wants endo and let alone like really severe endo. Um, but hearing that was just so validating. Um, that I was actually like going through it. Um, so it was a massive relief and yeah, it's, it's really shit that surgery is the only true way to diagnose it. Like you can, you can at times detect like really deep infiltrating endo via like ultrasound or MRI, but, um, it doesn't pick up like all endo and it, you know, I had ultrasounds in the lead up and it picked up nothing. And it was like, yeah. you know, from these scans, doesn't look like you have anything, go have surgery. There it is like in its full embedded glory on my organs. Oh. Um, but it's, 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 it's rough because surgery, um, especially at the, you know, they kind of play it out like a day procedure and have that attitude that it's a quick in and out. The recovery is horrendous. It's so invasive. Like this second surgery that I recently had in June, I had to take a month off work, you know, it's really hard. And it's, yeah, that's an attitude that I'd love to see changed is, you know, particularly surrounding surgery and and that it's a a minor, it's a major procedure. It's, it's, it's gnarly. I'm really curious in how your health has been because that initial surgery was two years ago and you just said you had another one in June. How, how has that two years been? And I guess considering you had another one, is that how endometriosis works? It can, I don't know, almost peak and trough like that? It's really interesting. I think the key um, takeaway with my experience as well is the importance of finding a specialist that actually kind of just dedicates themselves to endometriosis cases. Um, There's two ways in which it can be removed, ablation and excision. Excision is when it's cut out from the root. So the whole disease is like fully, you know, like a little shovel, just bam, out. Um, Ablation. I'm just laughing at that. (laughs) Your just hand movements with that. Doing all these gestures. (laughs) I'm like shoveling. Shovel out. (laughs) Yeah. Get on out of here. Um, Ablation burns it off at the surface. So it'll cut off the top, um, but it won't take the root out. So it's like when you're, you know, think of like a lawn and some weeds and you just trim the weeds, but you're not getting the root. So it can grow back and it's very likely to grow back. Um, so I didn't know that. I didn't know this at the time, you know, I just went with what I was told, go see a gynecologist, not an endometriosis specialist. Um, and my first guy was really good, but I did agree to have students, um, remove it 
because they need to be trained. And I didn't know the severity of it. So I was like, yeah, cool, whatever. Like I'll be the guinea pig. Um, and they got to learn and I, I don't regret it. But if I had known about the severity of my disease, then I probably would have gone about it a different way. So the reason why I had to have a second surgery was because I was still experiencing pain. I had the Mirena inserted, um, which my body just did not vibe with. And that created a new set of pain and symptoms for me. So the time in between my two surgeries was really rough. It was probably the, the most difficult time because I started experiencing unpredictable pain at any given moment. Whereas before my surgery, I would only really have the most significant pain around my period, mm. but I could plan for it because I yeah. knew when it was coming, but this random pain was random. <laughs> it would just like impact my social life. Um, I was really a hermit, you know, in that period. So I went and had the second uh, surgery and it was found that um, the disease that was, I guess, detected was still it was a disease that was not taken out correctly the first time around, but now it's been all taken out and I got the Mirena removed. Um, again, works for some people, didn't personally work for me. Um, and now I feel really good. Like, oh, that's so good. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, the only thing I feel now is fatigue from this lockdown, <laughs> which we've had to do. I support it, but girl, I'm tired. Um, <laughs> I want to see my friends. I'm over it. And see if, and you probably wouldn't have seen your family either if they're in Ballarat. Yeah, I haven't. I mean, I haven't been home since May. So that's been a long time. There was luckily when I did have my second surgery, it was during this tiny window of freedom between the first mm. and second wave. I oh, that so felt so free. <laughs> that time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I was so lucky to have my surgery then. Um, but then I had to take like a month off work to recover and then we'll back into, I feel like I've been in lockdown the whole year. Cause you know, even that window of freedom, I was getting hacked inside. So I <laughs> shovel, I to, yeah, getting that shovel <laughs> to get that endo out. So I was crippled. Um, yeah. So that was, uh, I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying you feel a lot better now and this second surgery has been the one that you needed. Do you have flare-ups still now when your period comes or is it kind of Yeah, gone? at the moment it is now just working uh, with the period pain. So that's come back um, and it's just something that I have to kind of figure out. I'm, I'm personally not interested in, in trying any other like hormonal therapies because I just – don't feel like that's best for me and my body. Um, but I've actually just been approved for medicinal cannabis. So that's cool. <laughs> yeah. And it's a really, uh, it's an interesting complex, uh, discussion, but it's one worth having, mm. um, especially for chronic illness. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult one in the sense that the regulations vary from state to state, but, um, I've been approved and, you know, the reason why I went for it, um, to be completely honest, is because since my surgery, having my periods again, uh, I turned to edibles and just like a little weed cookie um, to help me on those first few days and getting to sleep because otherwise I would be up all night with pain. Um, and it's been amazing for me. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm really curious about that. Yeah. How does, so have you started, have you, you've been approved, have you started it yet? 
as well? No. So I got approved last week. Um, I actually went through this, uh, I don't really know what to call them, a service, I suppose. They're called Tetra Health. They've recently just done a webinar on navigating medicinal cannabis in Australia for endo. And they did that in conjunction with Quendo, which is a... um, the oldest running endo organization in Australia. They're fantastic. Um, They're based in Queensland. They did a a webinar recently to kind of take you through the process and uh, how it works. And yeah, I guess for me, especially because I'm uh, someone who's on air every night and people know me, I don't want to be doing this illegally. Like I want to go about it the right way and have it uh, administered you know, for my personal needs, because otherwise I don't know how much I'm taking or, yeah. you know, the strain, the strength, whatever. Um, there's a lot about it that I still don't know, which I need to uh, educate myself on. But going through this service um, to obtain it legally is has been the best option for That's me. A, um, but what do you hope that ha- that kind of that has on the impact of your future with the illness? I guess just that it can allow me to live as normal as possible, you know, um, that I'm not confined to the couch or the bed a couple of days a month that I can still go and do things. And, uh, not only just for endo, but it has like a domino effect on my mental health, like anxiety. And, and I don't want to say that I have depression because I have not been diagnosed, but I've definitely had depressive feelings. Um, and medicinal cannabis can help with those things. So, I don't want to like endorse it, like, cause it's, it's a, a tricky so thing personal um, as well. Yeah. Yeah. So personal. So, you know, if anyone's listening and they're like, Oh, I want to go check it out. Like always consult a medical professional and, you know, look up organizations like Quendo and, and Tetra health who can educate you. You really need to educate yourself and ensure that it's, cause it's not gonna be right for everyone. Absolutely not. But, um, for me it has been, um, and I'm just relieved that I have that option to explore mm. and yeah, the next stage I, I just wait for the pharmacy to call me, um, and I'll go pick up my scripts. I'm just taking it in oil form for now to start off with just to ease into it. Um, cause it is a trial and error kind of thing, but just based on the last few months with my little edibles, it's been <laughs> really <so> helpful <laughs> and it's and- crazy. It's like, I talk to people about it and you know, there's obviously a stigma because people take it as a recreational drug. Um, I'm just taking it to feel normal, you know, mm. to not be in pain. And I think that's just a really important conversation that needs to um, kind of be normalized, I suppose. Especially as you said, the impact it's had on your mental health. Is that really common with people who have endometriosis that it they can develop things like depression and anxiety? Does it almost go hand in hand? Yeah, it's like a um it's like what they call a pain cycle. So you, you have chronic pain, you have feelings of depression and anxiety and stress which can then trigger more pain and it's just a never-ending thing and it's it's horrible. It it really is like this domino effect um and very common. Like I honestly don't know anyone with endo who hasn't been mentally impacted by this disease cuz from start to finish like the time in which it takes for you to even get answers and for you to be believed and to have that diagnosis is uh, kind of traumatizing in itself, you know, and then trying to navigate how you're going to live your life with this condition. You know, you still want to be able to live and um, not be held back, but you can feel that uh, a lot of the time. And then when you think about future prospects, like, you know, some people can be um, facing infertility 
it's not for like not everyone with endo, but um, there is like quite a number of people who do face that problem, which is horrible. Um, career, you know, like I'm so lucky that I can work full time. I have so many friends who can't work full time because their pain doesn't allow them to. And it's just, it's tragic and they can't even get, you know, the right benefits um, from the government. Like they don't, a lot of um, the cases aren't seen as like falling under, you know, a disability pension or whatnot, because it's, I don't know, it's, it's really complicated, but there, there needs to be a a lot more work done in that area. But um, yeah, it's definitely a, a hand in hand thing. What would a cure mean to you and all of the women that you know that have this condition? I mean, it'd be a game changer. Um, I don't know how uh, realistic it will, like, I don't know if it will happen in my lifetime. I hope it does. There's just so much more to learn about the disease. We don't even know what causes it. So Mm. I don't, I don't even know if we can get a cure without knowing what causes it first. But I think, I think what would be the priority now is um, just ensuring that everyone has the right information about it because there's so much conflicting information presented everywhere and social media doesn't help with that either um and just people knowing that who they need to go see for help you know and not fall into this horrible cycle of having 10 plus surgeries that in turn is doing more harm to your body with adhesions and scar tissue and just like falling into this really nasty trap that you often can't find yourself getting out of Mm. um so I think that would probably be the priority is just having the right info and people being able to see the right professionals and the professionals having the right training to, you know, deal with the disease. Cause it's a lot more complex than what anyone ever thought more complex than what I ever thought when I got diagnosed, I was like, Oh, painful periods, but it's, mm. it's more than just a bad period. You know, do you even feel like, I don't know. I try, I'm trying not to generalize yet, but I think a lot of men, not doctors, but just men in general feel uncomfortable with periods and they don't really get period pain. So it's not almost given the right amount of attention and therefore the right amount of funding considering most of the people that are in parliament are old white men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't impact them. Yeah. Yeah. And you could just imagine what it would be like if a guy presented himself to ER with, you know, painful, uh, you know, painful feelings around his reproductive organs and uh, bleeding or like, you know, just the same symptoms, like it would be treated. Infertility. Yeah. Yeah. It would just be treated just like that. Whereas I think it's just because it's expected of us, it's normalized, like that's what you have to deal with as a, as a woman or someone who was assigned female at birth. Um, because yeah, there's like a lot of people with endo who don't identify as female. So I want to include them. Um, but yeah, it's just an expectation of us that we just have to deal with it. And it's so toxic and problematic and it makes it really hard for the conversations to be had when, you know, if you talk about a bad period and they're like, Oh, that's just normal. Yeah. It's not normal. Like it's yeah. so normal. And oh, I wish I knew that in high school. <laughs> or there are experiences, yeah. Oh, my sister had painful periods. That's just what all women have. It, it minimizes it so much. You then started your Indogram Insta account, which I think is just so fantastic. What prompted you to do that? Um, well, I just kept getting a lot of questions on my personal account whenever I do like a QA uh, or just in my inbox. Uh, like weekly, I'd just be getting so many messages from people, uh, whether it was someone who 
had just got a diagnosis or is looking into it because they saw my story or, you know, or a guy who's like, my partner has it and you've helped me understand it more. Um, so I just felt like it deserved its own space and I love Instagram, (laughs) Um, (laughs) favorite platform. And it was just, I don't know. I just thought it was a really good opportunity to create this space where it could visually be more accessible. Like the information could be more accessible because of that visual component. So I didn't want to be posting um, photos of myself or whatever. I just, I wanted to like have this aesthetic and be consistent with it and just have really strong visuals and interesting artwork that would appeal specifically to young people. um, But it's kind of appealed to a wider uh, age range, which is totally cool. Like love that. But it was initially targeted at younger people. So, you know, I was just thinking if I was in high school, if I was coming out of high school, if I saw this cool picture on Instagram and then it taught me about my uterus or what's going outside of my uterus, um, that would be like so good to have. So beneficial um, and prompted you probably prompted the, you once upon a time to maybe take it a little bit more seriously as well. Yeah. Take it more seriously, show it to my friends and be like, have you heard about this? Like, and they'd see the picture and be like, Oh, cute peak recaption. Oh shit. Like, yeah. yeah, let's, let's talk, you know, let's have that dialogue um, that could really potentially help us and other people. And yeah. So that's why I started it. Um, shout out to my mom who thought of the name endogram. I was like, so I good. It? <laughs> uh, and it was as simple as that. And I was shocked. Like no one had had taken that handle. So I was like, I'm going to take that. <laughs> um, and it's been, yeah, it's been really, I guess, successful. Like it's resonated with people. Um, and it's kind of grown into its own community. It's led me to writing my own book now, which is like coming out in March and, Uh, that's all on endo. And I've made really amazing friends from, you know, connecting with other endo accounts. Um, It's been really, it's not easy. Tell you what, it is not easy. Like really planning out an Instagram grid. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to influencers. Um, (laughs) You're doing a great job guys. (laughs) Yeah. Like you got to think about that. It takes some time, Um, but it's been really rewarding, really rewarding. It's nice to have, like, I, I never wanted to have endo uh and I was saying this to a colleague the other day but it's it's really nice to have something outside of music and feel like there's another purpose Mm. to me and to my voice um so yeah it's been really rewarding why is it important for you I guess to turn this experience that has had such an impact on every facet of your life and turn that around and use that in the way to use your voice to help others who might be experiencing the same condition and might feel really alone or might feel really frightened about it? I mean, I guess like the motivation behind it all is just because I didn't have that growing up, you know, and if I can be that voice for other people, like job done. And it's a really funny thing. um, And I guess I need to kind of link it back to music and you can probably relate as a, um, a female in media, like, you feel weird using your voice. And I just finished the shameless book, The Space Between by Zara and Michelle. Um, and it's this really great chapter on, on using your voice and owning it. Zara was talking about how some um, distant friends, she found out some of her distant friends were kind of talking about her and her podcast and how she uses her voice. And they were kind of critical and mocking her about it. And I think that's everyone's fear. And I was reading this chapter being like, oh my God, I have felt this so hard so much throughout my life. And in recent years, because I have decided to be more vocal about 
my endo and being a woman in music and, you know, um, things that I don't think are fair. (laughs) Um, And reading that chapter, I was like, God, this is something that we all feel like it's not easy using your voice and you're so fearful of that judgment and um, criticism and people just making fun of you because they're sitting back watching, but they're not doing anything. Yeah. You're either sitting back watching and commentating on other people who are trying to genuinely do good things. Um, So yeah, I just reading that the other day really resonated with me and kind of made me feel more motivated to use my voice, I suppose, more than ever. And it is, yeah, essentially just comes down to that reason in that I didn't have it growing up and some, everyone should have that growing up. You know, if I, like I could be, well, without tooting my horn, but I know I have because I've received messages like being able to help fast track someone's diagnosis because you've spoken up, you know, every, everyone's story is so important and it's just people need to kind of realize that more. Does that answer the question? Kind Definitely. Of? <laughs> yeah. No, and, and it validates people's experiences. And it, as mm. you just said, it just would have helped the you once upon a time in year 10 going to the doctor if something like this existed. And you said that then, is that the kind of feedback you're getting that people are going and pushing they're, you know, making their voice heard, pushing at doctors to get further testing. Is that what, is that, is that's what's happening? Yeah, totally. And it's, it's really like, it's amazing seeing these messages that I, I got one this morning. Let me find it. Um, people who are searching for a diagnosis or who have just got diagnosed because they saw my story and have yeah, decided to do something about it. Um, there was one that I got. Where is she? Oh, that must feel so rewarding and makes it all worth it in this really strange way, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's, it's overwhelming though. This girl, Jenna, like this morning, what's the time? A couple of hours ago, 10, 17 AM. I just want to say thank you. I've recently been diagnosed with endo this year. This page has given me so much comfort knowing I'm not alone with what I'm feeling. This is fantastic. Can't thank you enough. Like, and I get that shit all the time. Mm. Shit. I mean, is in good shit. Um, (laughs) Like, I don't know. I just wish people realized and it's, it's hard to talk about it without, like, I don't want to be bragging and like tooting my own horn, but like, that's what happens when you use your voice Mm. to help people. You can see directly how much it can help other people. And so when I get these messages, like, you know, every week I'm like, yeah, it's so worth it. Like Mm. it's just, and we're all capable of doing it as well. We are. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I was, and you know, it's, it's hard because, um, you know, these people who know me now because of my job, uh, just know me because of that, but I'm normal, just like them. I was this not very cool person from Ballarat, like my Ballarat people know who I am. And I think for them, it's really cool to see like a normal person, um, being able to use their voice and help people and have that platform. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky to have my platform. I've, I've worked for my platform, but I'm very lucky to have it. So I think when you do get presented with, with that platform, you kind of have an obligation to use it to amplify like other people's voices and help other people. Like what's the point of having it otherwise, you know? So yeah. (laughs) Totally. The experience from the symptoms that you experienced as a teenager to now essentially has been so lengthy. What has this whole journey again for lack of better I can't think of another better word than that feels very bachelor what has this whole journey taught you about yourself feels very bachelor and Australian idol I think of Guy Sebastian for some reason I don't know tell me about your journey 
Yeah, <laughs> my journey. Well, what it's taught me, I suppose, is that, um, that I guess oh, so many things. I honestly don't know where to start. Um, I guess that what you're feeling and what you're experiencing is valid first and foremost, um, that in, you know, specifically related to endo that you are the expert of your own body and you have the right to persist that, um, even if you do experience, you know, medical professionals that do, uh, dismiss you, you, you have every right to question it and, um, to continue and find the answers that you need. Um, I, it's also taught me that I can still live a very rewarding, fulfilling life, um, alongside endo. Like, I don't want to say I'm living in spite of endo, but I'm still living a really good life and I'm lucky. I know some people aren't able to do that, but I don't want people with endo to feel like that they can't do anything. Like you can't let this condition, and I know it's easier said than done, but you can't let it dictate your life and your everyday movements. And I know there are, there's a lot of days where it does feel like it does. And there's days, you know, the last few days, you know, I've just finished my period <laughs> and um, Thursday, Friday, I was in bed or in the bath up until one o'clock until I had to start work, you know, like I know how hard it is <laughs> and my endo uh, journey is not smooth. Um, and I, and it's important for me to keep that real on like my, on my endogram and stuff as well. Um, <clears throat> it's not just a highlights reel, absolutely not. But yeah, I think it's just taught me that, um, that yeah, my experiences are valid and my voice is important and everyone should feel that way. You must feel stronger than you ever thought you would have felt as well. You must feel really, yeah, you must feel like you possess a kind of inner strength that maybe you didn't know that you had before all of this too. I think so. And I think um, it's moments like this where you actually do take that moment to think about it because mm. I never really do. But when you stop and you do reflect on like everything, if I, you know, well, I guess the book is a good case in point, like writing it out and looking back at all that shit, I'm, I have been reminded like, oh my God, your girl's gone through it. <laughs> but she's, she's made, you know, made it through and it's, um, yeah, it is a real big test of character and strength and anyone who has endo, uh, is like an absolute boss for just living with it, you know, like it's, it's so not easy. Um, so yeah, everyone has that strength, whether they see it or not. There's days where you don't feel like you have it at all, but you have it. And I finish all my interviews in the same way and I've thoroughly enjoyed this chat, Bridget. <laughs> and that is wanting to know what the Bridget now in front of me would tell the Bridget in her darkest moments. Oh my God. <laughs> um, goodness me. When I think of, it's only recent, like 2018 was a particularly hard year for me being interstate and being very isolated and navigating those first steps to, you know, having my diagnosis and whatnot and being in pain and dealing with that alone. And so if I, I'm thinking of me sitting on my bed in my share house in Sydney in 2018 now, um, I would say that you, I don't know, that you're so much yeah, stronger, I guess, than you give yourself credit for. Um, and even though some people may not understand what you're going through, like you know what you're dealing with is real and you can get through it before you've been through some hard, you've already been through some really hard things in your life and you can, you can get through it. And you have, I guess, also you have a lot to give and you have so much purpose and 
uh, you'll come out a better person because of it and you can help people, you know? Um, so I'd be like, yeah, that kind of mumbled <laughs> ramble kind of wouldn't be like some direct pep talk. I'd be like, um, um, yeah, you've also got, <laughs> so maybe not directly motivational, but just like real talk. <laughs> no, it was. I loved that. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for sharing everything you have during this chat. I've learned so much and, um, yeah, you're really, you're really amazing. So thank you for being you. <laughs> thank you for the chat and thanks for the platform to, um, to share this. So I hope that, I hope that people get something out of it. Totally. And even if, yeah, it's, and it goes for anyone that's going through a tough time, whatever that is, I think you're, you know, it doesn't have to be, if they've got endometriosis, it can be anything they, they're going to get a lot out of what you have to say. So it could be lockdown. <laughs> it could just be mother effing lockdown. <laughs> well, thank you so much again and enjoy the rest of your day and the rest of your week and good luck for the rest of lockdown. (laughs) Thanks, Liz. Thank you for having me. No problem. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode with Bridget Husswaite. I'll add links to her account and endogram in the show notes. As always, you can follow me at Elizabeth O'Neill. If you're enjoying Lemonade, why not show your support by hitting subscribe, clicking five stars and leaving a review. Have a brilliant rest of the week and we'll chat next Monday. Bye. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 